Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And you have arrived in another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I myself have been trying to figure it out. You all know that I'm trying to figure it out constantly. And lately it's been on roller skates, right? Because that was what was next. Naturally. Yeah. So Marty got one of those hoverboard things and um, she came whizzing by and managed to figure it out in midair. Oh, yeah, I did. I did actually. But then the hoverboard crashed. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. And I couldn't, like I had state dependent memory. I needed to be in midair to remember what I had figured out. (laughs) So then I just spent a day jumping off progressively higher surfaces, trying to think of things in midair again. And really my ankles really hurt now. And that's all I have to show for it. (laughs) Well, maybe one of these days, eh? Maybe. We keep trying. We do keep trying. So what are you trying to figure out this week, bro? I... I'm trying to figure out, hmm, how shall I put this? Like, I've been struggling with my inner hippie, oh. Marty. <laughs> Sometimes I hear you two fighting at night. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. So you know how we all have these different aspects of ourselves? And I have a very strong and wonderful inner hippie who has spent a pandemic of early motherhood uh fantasizing about something called forest school oh yeah 
So sweet. Are you going to put your dreadlock back in? (laughs) (laughs) I think that dreadlock has um, collected enough, like, I don't know what's in it's there. A truly, it's, it's a genuinely dreadful lock at this point. It is. So yeah. what? Okay, tell me about this forest school thing. So it's, it's, it's about parenting in public as well. Like, so Lila is 18 months old. And for the past 18 months, we've been in our house, right? Mm-hmm. There was a pandemic or whatever. So then... Last week, finally, she was old enough, forest school began. I had spent all these 18 months fantasizing about forest school because it's very much like what it sounds like, Muddy. I hope so. The children go into the forest, you know, and when they're little like this, the mums come and the dads come and the parents come and everyone cavorts oh yeah and cavorting forest school yeah i mean this place is wonderful right it's like the tagline of the school is for kids who are serious about dirt who doesn't love that and so my inner hippie was just in paroxysms it was just of joy (laughs) just to be clear (laughs) yeah yeah i mean no just of all the strong emotions at once. Uh, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. It was just, it was intense. And so off we went, all my hippie bells ringing. And and let me tell you, in, in Australian parlance, they were kitted out. They were rugged up. They were dressed for the occasion. It was cold. Yeah, and... and yeah, Rose not used to cold, so they were all, they were wearing this odd mishmash of like <laughs> rubber boots and yeah and and little fluffy gloves and they looked great i have to say we looked like we were letting our inner hippies out you did actually that's exactly the image yeah and so in my mind forest school it's gonna be you know little kids you know cavorting around and like making bird calls and (laughs) building forts and sort of like dancing in the tree circles and talking to the trees and I thought you know she'll have these friendships that will begin now that will stay with her for life and uh, yeah she had these little little rain boots little mud boots on and she could barely walk in them honestly because I was being economical and I bought some that were a bit too big and so she had those on we practiced stomping around the house together and she quite got into that and uh, so then we get there and sure enough there's a little bird call to bring everyone together and then (laughs) (laughs) and then you know, it's all so beautifully Montessori and respectful parenting. And our lovely teacher sort of said, <laughs> she's like, today I'd just like us to let our children be the architects of their own experience. Mm-hmm. Try not to lead them in play, mm-hmm. but rather follow them mm-hmm. and see what they can teach you. Oh. You know, and I was just like, oh, I was in paroxysms. Again. Yeah. yeah. Of delight ish i mean it was just i can't it was it was a lot of emotion okay and so then we all hiked off through the pine forest together to get to a sacred grove it was very much as i'd imagined Uh and all the little tiny children tromping along and then they we came into a circle and we all sat together and had a snack and talked about what makes a really good stick 
Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm still thinking about that. And I am older than 18 months. Yeah, well, I can give you some pointers. But (laughs) finally, it was time for the children to explore the pine grove. And there were beautiful things. They could paint this big branch of a tree with these beautiful paints. And there were all kinds of little activities set up around the pine grove for them Mm. to do. And then... They one by one, Lila's one of the youngest in the group. And so one by one, the kids kind of, oh, look at their, and all the parents are so perfect and, um, you know, respectful parenting and la, la, la. And so they were like, I see that you are embracing the blue paint, Persephone. (laughs) And, And I was just like, yes, and my child is, and what Lila was doing was, walking away from the pine forest with great determination <laughs> in her little boots. Trump, 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 trump. And so I'm like looking around <laughs> at the other parents to see if they've noticed and then like walking after her so that she can be the architect of her own experience. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, Lila, Ephany, you, uh, are you interested in exploring the sacred puddle that lies beyond the pine forest? And she was like, up, 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 up. <laughs> she had her own ideas. And I was so embarrassed because I couldn't, like, I felt like I was in such a bind, Marty, because I couldn't just, because she was the architect of her own experience, I couldn't just go. pick her up and take her back. And right? and you sent a movie and she had architected, she was a long way away by the time you <laughs> turned on your phone. And she was architecting an experience that was like a gangplank that just went endlessly to the horizon away from forest school. <laughs> we were actually saying that it was basically like, our podcast, it was like they created the perfect little culture. And Lila was just like, later. <laughs> off she went. Off she went, following her nature, which should have, like, delighted me. But instead, I was had culture had its little hooks in my hippie mm. self. And my hippie self was like, ah, ah, mm, ah, I wonder what the other parents are thinking of me. My child is not properly, like, making leaf potions right i'm wondering if there's a related forest school for children who are serious about acid (laughs) no (laughs) no 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 no. i meant lsd which i've never tried so that was a very very bad joke i thought it was a pretty good joke all right well you know i can there comes a point with forest school where i am with lila i'm beeline in a way (laughs) without some kind of chemical support i mean if i just had to sit there with a straight face maybe i've had too much influence on the child maybe so yeah i mean it did it did occur to me just that your own introverted tendencies shoot off into nature she did god bless Mm -hmm. her and i was like in this really peculiar position of trying to like emulate oh this is all so natural for me and I just know that my child is exploring out here but soon she'll come back into the fold but like I was in purely in the grip of culture and it was so interesting meanwhile she's like where can I get a cigar (laughs) she's if she doesn't grow up to be a hippie that's all she has to do to like rebel is not be a hippie she is just her own person 
She truly is. And I'm sure you'll hear so much about that because she's endlessly entertaining. In fact, she's the only entertaining thing we've had in our lives for 18 months. Yeah. And she has carried us through. She sure has. So what are you trying to figure out? Yeah. Um, less, much less sweet and wholesome and um, respectful. Much less respectful. I had to go do a taping. Like, talk about the end of the pandemic. I had to go to a physical space to record a physical TV thingy or Amazing. something. Yeah. Only, it's not the very end of the pandemic because I had to have a certificate, a testing, that the day before I went to the taping, which was mm -hmm. in New York City, um, I had had a negative COVID test. And it was some special test. So I got the directions to go to a lab, a diagnostics lab close to our house in Pennsylvania where they would do this very special test on the appointed day. So off I went. It was quite a little trek, but I found it. It was a little weird. It was in a kind of strip mall and it was hard to find. It was like a weird little maze with just little paper signs and lab. Ooh. And I was getting a little nervous and I went in and it was a large room, bro. It was large. Hmm. And it was bare okay it was i'm not kidding it was maybe 50 feet square <laughs> and there were four chairs in it one <laughs> in the center of each of the walls and in the very middle of the Wait, room the center oh okay yeah, yeah so right. if you go to any wall there's a chair in exactly the center of the wall 50 yep. feet from the other chairs and i mean they were serious about social distancing and mm -hmm. then in the middle, a teeny tiny coffee table that would have taken a day's hike for any of us to reach. <laughs> and there was nobody to like greet me. Hello, come in. Do you have a fever? No, none of that. It was just a computerized thing. And I went in and sure enough, I had my appointment and I sat down and I was waiting for my instant results test. And the three of us that were sitting in this large echoing room could hear a conversation going on in the little special room where they do the actual special test. Room. <laughs> this is all sounding ominous. And none of it sounded health related. It was about, <laughs> the, the conversation went on uh, a long time and it covered a lot of topics, <laughs> none of which had anything to do with illness. And you'd hear the patient occasionally saying, except, but maybe you could. And then there would be this other voice going, you have no idea what I've had to put up with. And it went on for a while. And then and someone came out. We all perked up, all, all four of us, in our separate chairs. And a woman came in in a mask and a hat, like we could barely see her. And she didn't speak to any of us. She just ran, and I do mean ran, around the room, pulling down all the shades, <laughs> locking the doors, and then turning out the lights. No way. Then she bolted Wait. back into the special room. She did. She turned off all the lights in the waiting room while yes. there were people waiting in it. Yeah, and we all just sat there staring at each other over our masks, going... I would talk to you about this, but I would have to shout. And then the other people would hear me. So what an interesting permutation of culture. It was very interesting. So then it was finally my turn. Someone that the voice from the special room called my name. And I <laughs> Even got though in the complete darkness. Yeah. Yeah. It was dark. It was dark. I went in there. There was one light on. There was a lamp on in there. And then the masked figure. Mm -hmm. And the mask, I said, I need to do a COVID test. And the mask figure said, we don't do those. <laughs> I was like, in the middle of a, like two years into a pandemic, you don't cover this? And especially since I had a special like request to do it. 
And she, I believe it was a woman. She said, um, although it could have been any species under that mask, who would know? So it could have been an alien because she said, no, we don't do those. And even if you do them, you can't get the results for at least a week. And I was like, but it's called the instant results test. And she's like, well, don't I look like the fool? <laughs> I, I didn't say yes, because I was afraid she could kill me. Mm. But it was very strange, mm. Ro. It was very, very strange. Mm. And she said to me, here's what you do. Go to an instant care, like an urgent care center and pretend you have COVID. They'll give you a test immediately. <laughs> and I was like, that seems like unduly uh difficult plus dishonest and she was like nope that's your only option oh wow yeah so uh i left i came home we called someone else that came to my house and gave me an instant covid test which, and they got the results in like 10 seconds and uh, i went and did my taping but all week i've been trying to figure out what the hell was going on in that room why did she turn the lights off well all i'm saying is she may have been a graduate of forest school. <laughs> you don't know what any, that amount of dirt does to your brain. How dare you? <laughs> I'm the man. You have to... You, I'm not the man. What do hippies say? Like to fight the man? Fight the pigs? I don't know. Why would a hippie fight a pig? Hippies love animals. What is wrong with this whole system? <laughs> Isn't there something you're supposed to do to the man? Like resist it or... <laughs> <laughs> Here's what's pathetic. I was actually alive during the hippie days and you weren't even born, really. Oh, my God. What did they do to the man, the hippies? Yeah, yeah, fight the man. Fight the man. Okay. I, uh, yeah. I'm you're the one the, staring the at forest school going, uh, yeah, are they eating mushrooms with the dirt? I don't think that's what the man is doing, though. The like, man is looking at them saying that. Just watching them and vaguely judging them. I don't think that's what the oh, man I is. Oh, I think the man is doing exactly that. <laughs> but we can discuss this later. <laughs> Suffice it to say we're both deeply confused. I think that is always the case and never more so than today. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favour to ask. You might not know this, but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of, that's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain. And uh, a review would be also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Mwah. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh! By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called The Change Cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. 
And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So Marty and listeners, as you know, in this podcast, we're all about helping people from a state of bewilderment to bewilderment, to their own true nature. Mm. And this week's episode is a kind of hybrid one because it is a Be Wild Files episode because it's based on something a listener is trying to figure out. Right. But we just wanted to do the whole episode on her submission. So it's not like multiple people. It's just the one. But it's a big, big question. It's a big one. And we're excited to talk about this. So first up, without further ado, let's hear from Victoria. What I'm trying to understand and work out is anxiety. It's such a strange thing. And I just recently admitted that I might be susceptible or have it. And the thing that's really bothering me is if you come from an unstable or traumatic background where you've lost a lot of things, basically everything, it makes sense that you would kind of always feel like you were going to lose something. But I have a a very close to perfect life. I have all of the things. My business is thriving. I love my family. Everything is good. And I'm trying so hard to make that looming anxiety feeling go away. And I just cannot quite figure out how. Oh, Victoria, such a good question for the two of us, because we both have anxiety, even when life looks outwardly good. Yeah. We're very familiar with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we different have different kinds of anxiety, I guess. Like I, for me, it's often um, like a very physical thing. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, you know, people talk about their anxiety as sort of racing thoughts and catastrophic thinking and everything. But for me, it's often just a non- verbal kind of physical right. state mm-hmm. um what about you 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 have kind of both of them don't you yeah well, i sometimes have racing thoughts and i've actually changed that over the years a lot with some of the methods i'll talk I'll touch on in this podcast but i have massive social anxiety mm. and even though i've been, you kind of have to be exposed to the situation a lot to sort of push yourself into it so the pandemic has just increased my social anxiety Woo! right yeah. your tolerance for being in in social yeah, it's <laughs> gone way down yeah, yeah right so yeah we talk about anxiety a lot we love to talk about anxiety victoria um actually to the point that marty's next book is most likely going to be on this very topic right that's true yeah and i started doing re- research on anxiety and the constant exposure to the word just spun me completely into intense anxiety <laughs> but you're not and, the only one with that no that's right? a big thing it's it's uh, the Anxiety disorders, diagnosed anxiety disorders quadrupled during 2020 in the U.S. So that's a 400% increase in one year. And that's in people who are officially diagnosed with exactly. it, which has to be a tiny, tiny fraction. Of- right. The people with the luxury and, and entitlement to go get yourself diagnosed. Yeah. And so, yeah, various current events, including the pandemic, like it, it's gotten worse than it's ever been. Mm. And thank God you saved me by saying why don't you write a book about calm instead of anxiety? And I was like, oh, great reframe. And it it kind of got me off the ledge. But still, anxiety keeps creeping back into my life, even though I'm a self-help writer and I try on all my own methods and they work. I still, like I sit and meditate and still, I see my mind like a terrified horse just tearing round and round in a circle half the time. 
Right, but this is what's interesting, you know, because, you know, when we started talking about this topic and we realised, as we often do, like, that has nothing to do with culture. Oh, wait, that has everything to do with culture, this mm-hmm. topic. And, you know, we, we started talking about how, okay, so for the, to the culture, huge generalisation, I know, just let's just live with it. To the culture, our culture, Western culture, whatever, um, the the line would basically be anxiety is is just chemistry. You know, you have an inbuilt, maybe chemistry plus trauma. Right, right, right. You know, um, some, some combination of those two factors. And what we were talking about is like, yes, yes. And, oh, my God, people, take your meds. God love anti-anxiety meds, oh, antidepressants. Yes. We will, you'll never, I don't care how many pine groves I dance naked in under the moonlight, <laughs> I will still take my Prozac every day like a good girl. But, in fact, that's, that's how you keep dancing naked in the moonlight. <laughs> Maybe that's that's a lot the of problem. Prozac. <laughs> so, but, you know, it's funny because, that said, like if the if the if the culture tells the whole story, which is chemistry, Medicaid, da da da, then how come anxiety seems so able to game the system? Yeah. Like why aren't we all dancing naked in pine groves because yeah. we took our meds? You know, what we were talking about is it's sort of like anxiety will hack around the solutions. And yeah. that's not just um Drugs, right? That's what right. You, you had the same thing with, with meditation. Med- yeah, go. Tell yeah, us so I mean, there are more anti-anxiety medications being consumed than ever, and yet an- anxiety disorder is zipping upward, which mm. does it means basically the chemistry is is being poured into people's bloodstreams, but somehow it, the anxiety is fighting its way back. And my own experience with watching my mind is that I calm it down, mm. and then the anxious part finds a way back into my consciousness, and even even though I'm watching it. It's still happening. Yeah. It's really quite a fascinating thing. And like you, I thought, okay, that has nothing to do with culture. But then we talked about it and decided that's not exactly true. Yeah. And we started thinking about the brain and like, okay, so you're medicating or meditating <laughs> the brain to to counteract the effects of that chemistry, right? But then the anxiety sort of overrides it. So I said to Marty, sort of bringing in mention of her friend who is a very famous neuroanatomist from a very esteemed university. Which we shall not mention. Which we shall not mention, but if you think really hard, you might be able to guess. Uh, Jill Bolte-Taylor. And I said, well, what would Jill say about what what's the mechanism in the brain when the anxiety does fight back yeah. against these tactics? And as it so happens, I've spent hours talking to Jill about this very thing. Excellent. And her bo- I'm going to plug her book, Whole Brain Living, which is really excellent for this. I, everybody go out and get it if you have any questions about how your brain works. Guys, it's fabulous. It's, it's whole brain living with a W in the hole, not just like, oh, hole, yeah. like a hole in the ground. Yes. just want to be clear. That, that, that Whole brain, not... <laughs> Whole brain. Whole brain. (laughs) A brain with a hole in it. It lives. Yeah, it's whole brain living with a W. And it's very, very useful because what Jill does is she breaks down and simplifies what's happening in the brain, especially when things seem to be going badly. So imagine, if you will, a three-year-old child who is 
very delicately wired, very high, highly sensitive, and not that experienced with the world, who's mm-hmm. easily frightened. So something happens, a noise in the night, a change, anything, boom. That child has a burst of fear. Now imagine that the only adult taking care of this child is very, very convinced that the child is always right. Mm-hmm. So the adult, the child goes, I'm scared. And the adult goes, oh my God, the child is scared. There must be a good reason for this. And then finds a story that explains why they should both be afraid. I think there is a monster under the bed. There definitely is because that's where I left my cell phone. And it will plug me into a thousand, a hundred thousand, a million stories about monsters that will bring it right into my mm. mind. And whether you look at fantasy games or you look at the news, you're going to find monsters, right? So then the adult says to the child, you should be afraid. You should be more afraid. And the child gets more afraid and says to the adult, I am more afraid. And the adult says, you're always right. So I'm going to find more reasons why we're afraid. Mm-hmm. So and this, validates, finds ways to validate yeah. the existence of the fear. So it's like a feedback screech in a microphone where the mic amplifies a sound, which the amp amplifies the sound, feeds it back into the mic, which amplifies it again and feeds it back to the amp. Mm. And you get this horrifying sound. Sort of like the early days of this podcast. (laughs) Yes. And all of this is happening, according to Jill's book and her research, in the left hemisphere of the brain. So the, the little kid is the amygdala, a very primitive part of the brain that is just going fight or flight, fight or flight. Actually, fight, flight, freeze or fawn. Those are the four things that the amygdala will try to get you to do to make a situation safe. We will talk about fawn in a future episode. How's that? Yes, that that bitch. (laughs) Fawn is not a person. (laughs) But uh, it is one of the responses you can have to fear. So the amygdala is very primitive. It has a lot of fear. That left side amygdala, this is what Jill says, it's not the amygdala generally, it's the left side. The left side hippocampus is the part of the brain that says, I will believe everything the amygdala says and try to control the universe so that we're safe. Mm -hmm. And you get a feedback screech going with that. All of it happening in the left hemisphere because our culture is very left hemisphere dominated and teaches us to basically live in the left side of the brain and not go to the other parts where different things are found. That is so interesting. So... The child and the adult who are who are creating that feedback loop both live in that side of the brain that's all about logic and this and I mean it's not very logical, but you know, it's that sort of non that linear It has its weird circular sort of I mean the classic term is folia de two people locked in a room being going crazy together. Right. Because they reinforce each other's craziness. And you're saying that that loop is just nurtured and encouraged by the kind of mechanisms of our culture. Not just the mechanisms, but also the structures. So, you know, if you're not in the rhythms of nature, which will slow you way down and make your breathing slow and calm down mm-hmm. that amygdala part mm-hmm. of you, the, the hurry, hurry, hurry structures, the bright lights, the fact that we read so much, which causes our eyes to focus sharply, which is part of a fight flight response. Like wow. there is so much, the productivity, be anxious. Can I tell you a story? Yes, please. And I was there and I don't think it's, it was um, confidential. So I'm just telling this story. I went to a small party with Oprah Winfrey. 
the night before she did her very last Oprah Winfrey show broadcast. So 25 years of this like epic show. And she has to do the very last thing. And everybody who does media knows the ending is where it's all going to happen. So she was, she's at this party and she said to a group of us, I've been up since five in the morning. I wrote the whole show script myself. I've got, I've been meditating. I'm in complete peace. And she was emanating this complete peace. And then her people, I don't remember who, but they started kind of circling around. And like going, her staff? Her staff, mm -hmm. yeah. And the people who were working on the show, they were like, she's not nervous enough. I could hear that she's not nervous enough. She's going she's gonna to bomb if she's not more nervous. Wow. So they actually started telling her, Oprah, you need to feel more nervous. You need to get afraid. Because there really is a strong cultural model that says if you're not somewhat afraid or very afraid, you won't do your best. You won't even show up. Yeah. Yeah. There's an example, and she wouldn't do it, and she gave an incredible performance the next day from a place of deep calm. But man, it was such a great example of the, the culture at its very apex saying, mm -hmm. you have to be afraid. It's the only way to do well. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's wild. And so the, the culture will like give you lots of ways to ratchet up the fear, the anxiety, but I guess from within that feedback loop, there's no way to bring it back down. So we're all kind of stuck, right? Yeah. If you don't like deliberately decide to bring that pattern down, if you're not aware of it and you don't know how to mm -hmm. interfere with it, it just goes up and up and up and nothing around you. The, if you were out in nature after a few days, one of my friends who lives in Africa says culture is three days deep. Oh, your third cool. day in the wild, your whole system just re-regulates to nature. But if you don't get that, then the anxiety is catching on other human brains as well. Right. And it starts to hyperlink. It's like you have all these hyperlinks in your brain where something that you see while you're afraid becomes frightening the next time you see it. Right. I mean, I guess the culture does give us like the, the one sort of way out that the culture offers us is like regulating through substances. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So there is like anti anti-anxiety antidepressants yeah. and then there's just like you know alcohol is the is the most culturally approved way of of regulating emotion right and then right. there's there's drugs and then i was thinking there's also adrenaline which i think is probably what the oprah people were getting at yeah you need adrenaline you need to be harnessing to that substance to to perform and uh, you know sugar dopamine from scrolling social media serotonin from right. exercise like it's that those are all the ways that the culture gives you the thumbs up for that's how you're allowed to regulate yeah but it's all still stay on the left side of the yeah thing, right? and because it all it, it for example scrolling social media for dopamine hits mm. you get totally desensitized to these bright shiny like intense images right so in order to get attention which is the the currency of our culture they have to become more and more and more striking more attention getting and a lot of the times that means more frightening and disturbing because like a murder gets our there are no tv shows about robberies every week you know <laughs> svu no it's like law and order robbery unit nobody would watch it it has to be murder it has to be that horrifying to get our attention over over we've got another five six over <laughs> it's oh man it looks like a burglary looks like a pretty bad one. Oh my god i'm gonna need backup backup they took the microwave <laughs> 
<laughs> so we get more and more like we, we go looking for excitement, but the brain gets more and more high strung and things start to, the, our brains are incredible. Unlike other animals, we can tell these stories that hook uh, objects together in, into a pattern that's, that sustains our mood. So one of my favorite psychologists, Stephen Hayes, terrific psychologist, created ACT therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy. He had such bad panic attacks and he tried everything as he was going through school and becoming a psychologist. And he got to the point where he had such bad panic attacks and he tried every method to soothe himself that he could read about. Right. But those got connected to the panic attacks <laughs> to the point where one of his triggers for having a panic attack was the word relax. No. Yeah. Oh, that's or wild. Or take a deep breath. Boom, panic attack. Oh, that's amazing. Because as scientists say, what fires together wires together in the brain. And, and that can be anything. It's not like the word relax has magical properties that make you relax. No, it's just all associated. And so it starts, anxiety starts to spread like mold in the walls and there's nothing to stop it in the culture. There's a lot to stop it in nature, but not in the culture. So it's like a tire ripper effect. It keeps getting worse and worse. You can go forward, 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 but you never back up. Wow. Oh, that's horrifying. It is. It's funny because I'm thinking about like the culture is still trying to capitalize on, on even like the mindfulness and meditation industry you know like the way that the culture tries to co-opt that stuff and get into it and uh, it reminds me Marty of this meditation app years ago back in Australia that I I signed up for because I was just looking for something to structure you know my spiritual practice or whatever the way you do and this was so funny because it was in the sort of early days I'd say of like trying to gamify things like this and so it was a (laughs) meditation It was an app to log your meditation, your daily meditations, Uh right? And I was totally on board with that. But then what it did is it wanted to link up with a social media uh, site so that it could connect you with your friends who were also using the app. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Then it took you and your friends and made a little board game situation where you could out meditate (laughs) your friends and be at the head of the leaderboard. I'm not kidding. It was like, can you meditate an extra 33 uh, minutes and beat Sandra? Oh, my oh God. no. Linda is closing on you. <laughs> it's like how bonkers and backwards and insane is that? I had a meditation app in my car for driving meditation. It was it was a tape. I just had a tape for driving meditation, and you were supposed to like become very alert. It's the opposite of sleepy, right? So, but you get calm but alert, and then it would say, "Okay, for fifteen minutes, we're going to be calm but alert." But my car automatically fast forwarded through any blank space, so it would say, <laughs> "We're going to meditate for fifteen minutes." How was that for you? The car's like, we don't have time for this shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a cycle that seems um, to go up and up and up and never down again. So what you're saying is there's no way out. That's not it. My question to you is. Yes. How do we get out? What's the way out? I will tell you. Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, 
By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. The way to fix this is to access the parts of the brain that are not in the left hemisphere, at least according to Jill and, and her fabulous book. We have a lot more choice than we think we have when it comes Hmm. to anxiety. That's what she always says. You always have a choice. You always have a choice. And the choice is to find a way to access the amygdala and the hippocampus on the right side of the brain. So where the... Sorry, I just want to stop you for a second because even that little piece, you have a choice. Even that is a little blow against the cultural idea, which is you're a victim of your chemistry. Yeah, And so immediately you just say that and it's like, wait, what? Yeah. And and also the cultural thing that says you must be afraid. If something's, you know, Oprah, you've got to be afraid, right? So there's this to say, no, I have a choice and I'm going to choose something different. Yeah. So I talked about the three-year-old and the adult. Well, you've got another three-year-old and another adult on the right side of the brain, but they do different things than the left Mm -hmm. hemisphere. It's the the amygdala and the hippocampus, but let's just call it the child and the adult for fun. So on the right-hand side, instead of fear, the little kid on that side is full of curiosity. Hmm. And actually people who have phobias and then damage the part of the brain that feels the phobia become fascinated by the very things they were frightened of before. Hmm. Like the high attention is still there, but it's joyful. So, so it's, it's like, really different from what we're used to experiencing, right? Yeah, it's like a little kid stomping off away from a pine grove a and into the unknown. Like <laughs> a little bit like, watch me architect out of this. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the hippocampus, the grown-up on the right side of the brain, instead of the left side wanting to control everything, the right side hippocampus feels a sense of connection with everything and mm. actually has no need to control, feels supported and integrated into nature and into a benevolence that Jill experienced, Jill Bolte taylor experienced when she had her left hemisphere stroke. She was suddenly only had access to these right side structures and she experienced herself as full of wonder and joy and bliss with no boundaries, the size of the universe. And it was something extraordinarily beautiful that she held on to as she rebuilt the left side of her brain. And now she says, I, I could go to fear and anxiety and control, but I'm just going to choose to go to the right side of my brain and, and integrate with my fascination and my sense of oneness with the universe. But that can't be as easy as... I will just go to the right side of my brain. It's not. (laughs) I'm kind of relieved to hear that because otherwise, why wasn't I doing it already? It is that simple, which doesn't mean we know how to do it. It isn't easy because we're not taught to do it. Now, if you are in different cultures, some other cultures, they have a much easier time doing that. They actually are much more laid back. Um, There was a conversation between Carl Jung, the great psychologist, and a friend of his who was a Pueblo Indian chief named Mountain Lake. And they got to be close enough friends that Jung said to him one day, so what do you people think about white folks, really? 
And Mountain Lake said, to be honest, we think you're completely insane. You're always staring. You're, you always want something. Like, why are you obsessed with it? And by the way, you say you think with your heads. <laughs> and Jung was like, yeah? Like, where do you say you think? And he indicated his whole body. Right. He's like, with everything. We think with everything. We're part of everything. How crazy are you to think that you're not? How could you have this delusion? So we always talk about culture is coming to consensus and nature is coming to our senses. Mm -hmm. The way to step to the right side of your brain is literally to immerse yourself and focus your attention on the sensation of what is present, what is real. Mm. So our minds are constantly storytelling the horror tales, right? Right. And we can choose to stop telling those stories. Just like one of the things I've done with clients is just to go, if they're spinning out, just say, okay, stop for a minute. What color are the walls? How, what temperature are your feet compared to your hands? What, you know, mm. feel the texture of your shirt. What's that mm. like? And suddenly when we're occupied, like, like Lila in the forest, you know, when she's completely occupied with what she's doing and exploring and adventuring, mm. you know, the hippies have a point. When you're that drenched in sensory experience, the left side of the brain goes silent mm. unless there's a bear. And then it's like, sure, I'll scare you away from the bear. But that's not what I mean. I'm not here to be like yelling at you all day long every day. Yeah. So you're actually doing an incredible thing by taking her into the forest. Oh, look, I, I deeply agree with you. <laughs> you have never made a mistake, Rowan Mangan. This is what I've started telling her. You have never made a mistake. That was amazing. You are perfect in every way and you have never made a mistake, not once in your life. And she she, you know, she doesn't mean it in the, in the sense of like on a spiritual plane, when you think about it, you can't make a mistake. No, you have never made a typo in a document, Rowan Mangan. And I'm just like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and the irony is that it actually works a little bit. Yeah. Like I used to send myself when I was writing a lot and I didn't have anyone cheering me on. I would finish a chapter and send myself a postcard congratulating myself for my fine work. And the, the, the sad thing was I was always so happy when I got them. <laughs> so all of this, we're talking about using the right side of the brain to wire up a different set of stories. And the more you pull attention out of the fear stories and put them on the present moment and the joyful things, even if you say something, and now I'm dead serious, like there's no such thing as making a mistake if all you're doing is learning. You know, you have to... You have to make errors in order to learn. So, wow, maybe I never have made a mistake. And just playing with those absurd sounding stories, stories mm. our culture would never let us have, starts to release the stranglehold on the, on the fear. Is it fair to say that on the left side of the brain, there's not a lot of kindness? I would I have to ask Jill about that, but I think she'd say there's good intention. Yeah, Great, good intentions, but not a lot of kindness, not a lot of softness. Because it feels like almost like if we're looking to hack this, you know, go over to the right brain, maybe just like turning, this is something you and I have been talking about, turning the internal voice towards kindness could uh, be another kind of hack to get over there. Yeah. And you actually gave me the key to that when I was doing my research and you said, try writing a book about calm instead of anxiety, mm. because it turns out that internal self-talk that is unkind to the self, self-criticism is, is devastating to the psyche and to the body. It, mm. it has all kinds of negative effects. So I started just like every time I think a mean thought to myself, I stop and think a kind thought. Hmm. And 
like I, it, it had a massive effect very quickly. I have to, it, but it's really hard to keep doing it. Yeah. Because there's no support for it in the culture. I have to yeah. remind myself over and over. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we're, you know, Victoria talked in her recording about mm. losing everything. Yeah. She said, if you've lost everything, it's natural to be a bit afraid. But what if you haven't lost everything? And what I have to say to that is, we're always losing everything because as time goes forward, we never get back the moment that just passed. Mm, you've lost everything you've ever had. You've all, yeah, everything you had up to like this moment, you've already lost. Yeah. It's I love, I love, I don't know if they can see this on the video. If you're not watching the video, you should have seen Marty's face light up when she said everything. You've already lost but, <laughs> this radiant smile on her face. I love it. But that's how I feel. I because know. I've been, thank God I was an Asian studies major at a, a university I will not mention. Um, because I learned about these cultures where letting go and letting things drop away is the path to happiness. Yeah. So like I read that Tibetan parents raised their kids saying, you know, all those toys will rust and go away sometime and you will die. Everything's impermanent. And I was like, happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> um, and I thought, oh, what a way to terrify a child. But then you talk to the people who are raised this way and they're so light and filled with joy. And the reason is there's this natural brain thing to go, I'm gonna grab, I'm gonna grab things that are good for me and I'm gonna hang on. And they have recognized in many of these cultures, many traditional cultures, many Asian cultures, that letting go of what's already passing is the key to making experience fulfilling and benevolent instead of terrifying. We always feel like if we let go, we'll fall and that will be the end. That will be horrible. And that left side is just gripping all right, the time. Right. But when people reframe losing everything as everything becoming fresh every moment, mm. it's, a, it's a constant renewal. Everything, and when I said that, everything I've had I've lost, it feels so light. Yeah. And it's like, why would you want to hold a little puddle of water into in a stagnant puddle when it could just flow like a yes. river and be fresh every moment? And the abundance of that, like, it's, and that feels like stepping out of the left brain into the right brain to go, I have this one little puddle over to... I have access to yeah. an endless stream. And the moment you start talking about it, you have to move into the right side of your brain, which is the, that is the location that's going to allow you to feel the connection with everything and the renewal of everything. And like everything in abundance, it starts to go out and shoot out little tendrils of meaning and connection and love that are the opposite of fear. So you can make that choice all the time to, to do the opposite of what the frightening brain tells you to do. So people say, be very afraid. Just turn it around. You know, mm. Oprah was like, no, I will not. I will be calm. I've tried this. It works. <laughs> it really does. So the other thing, Marty, that I don't want to finish this episode without mentioning is like anxiety is not always bad right or fear I mean we're right, sort right. of conflating fear and anxiety is the one thing but like sometimes anxiety is the friend who's coming to say oh 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 yeah <laughs> you know like, oh, oh, mm. you're about to do something you may soon regret yeah. yeah yeah I was um not that long ago I had this 
had this thought that I wanted to make an investment, a financial investment, because Mm -hmm. as you know, and as listeners to this podcast know, spending and saving is the the same same thing. thing. And that is my financial (laughs) philosophy. And I I was going gung-ho towards making this investment. And I was really excited about it. And I talked to you and Karen about it. And then I went to bed that night. The next morning I woke up and I just, whenever my mind sort of strayed towards that idea, my gut kind of clenched a little bit Mm -hmm. and there was no mental story. Nothing had changed from my excitement except this little feeling in my body that, that was just like caution. Yeah. It wasn't, it was just like, "Mm, steady. And that was so interesting. And so I sat with it and for the day... And by the end of the day, my mind had been able to listen enough to this sensation Mm -hmm. that I decided not to do it. And as it turned out, it was a really, really good idea to pause in that moment. It would have been a bad investment. Yeah. And I'm really, really glad I did it. But so it was kind of, I think that if we, you know, we don't want to paint anxiety and fear as always negative. Yeah. They're not. I mean, The Gift of Fear by Gavin de Becker, I think I've oh, mentioned before. It's a, yeah. one of the best books I've ever read. The Gift of Fear, Gavin de Becker. He's amazing. And basically what he says is real fear is a gift. The fear that says run away from the bear, the tickle that says that's not a good investment. But it feels completely different from the constant storytelling of worry and anxiety. It's a quiet thing, really. Mm. And it impels action in the moment. And it's there's a calm to it. It says, here's a course of action. Take that. So we talk about dropping into our senses. And to take Gavin's recommendations and everything we've been talking about, it's really dropping into the body, connecting with what you can taste, touch, smell, hear, and using the mind as a science mind, not a sort of news anchor, be afraid at 11 p.m. Terror today as even more rain falls out of the sky. (laughs) So it's like, what what would an animal or a scientist say? What can I actually sense in my environment? What is my body telling me? Mm-hmm. What are my senses, even the prickliness in my gut? What's that telling me? I'm listening and I'm sort of judging experience according to whether or not it feels true. And as slowing opposed to down. Slowing it way down. And the physical sense of your true wild nature will tell you where to be, to take action to avoid danger. Absolutely. So, I mean, that, and that's really key is working on your own methods of discerning. Is this bullshit anxiety or is this anxiety my friend yeah. trying to warn me or, <clears throat> excuse me, caution me or whatever it is um, to, yeah. And at the end of the, of the day, it's the story that makes you feel most settled in yourself that will be the true one. I am meant to live in peace. Yeah. Yeah. So, And I will say also, Marty, that even when it's negative anxiety, I don't think any of us are silly enough to, to think that living in this world, in this time, in these bodies, anxiety can be cured and that we will all be dancing naked in the pine grove, uh, you know, forever. So I just I I want to be you, you might be. Um, and I'll meet you there, (laughs) but I just, I want to say like, 
the muscle that we're trying to build is the one that says, oh, here you are, anxiety, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. And right. here's what I've got to say. <laughs> yeah. You know, like let's let's just be calm with each other and be friends with each other and be kind to each other. And in Asia, they say the mind is a wonderful servant but a terrible master. So we take that storyteller off the pedestal. Mm. And when we feel an impulse of fear, we sit down and say, welcome. Let's look around and see what's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah, so. perfect. And as always, Marty, of course, stay, stay wild. We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is Bewildered Podcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes and chat with other fans of the show. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to marthabeck.com and you'll find your way. <laughs>